0: There's heaps of stuff that I'm not very good at, and um, one of the more minor things, I don't feel like sharing with you like, the more serious things I'm not very good at, yeah. but one of the more minor things I'm not very good at is, I'm often not very good at arranging my time, particularly when there's competing things that all look fun and I want to do them all. So for example, this last Thursday, I've managed not to double book, but triple book myself. Um, I needed to be in Swindon, Bristol, and Cornwall all at the same time. And it was because all three things look fun. So I said yes to them all and then had to untangle myself afterwards. Um, Last week, some friends of mine landed in London. I haven't seen them for 15 years. And when I knew they were coming, I immediately said to them, oh, come and stay. You've got to come and hang out for a few days. We haven't seen each other for so long. We've got so much catching up to do. And they were like, yeah, great, we'll come. What I hadn't really thought through because it just seemed like a fun prospect. I hadn't really thought through the logistics of it because I don't actually have my own home at the moment and I certainly haven't got anywhere for them to stay. So once they said yes, I had to think to myself, well, what on earth am I gonna do about this? So I rang my parents, always good to ring your parents. I rang my parents and said, oh, I'd really love to come and stay with you in mid-August. We haven't spent much time together recently. And mum and dad were like, uh, we're in Scotland in mid-August. Like, Oh, no worries. I'll come and stay anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And by the way, I'm bringing my friends with me, and they got a baby, so we'll need three bedrooms. And then a couple of days ago, so we, we're going this coming week, a couple of days ago, mum texted me. She said, "We have got three bedrooms ready. Everything's clean. Everything's looking good. I've even made you a cake and put it in the cake tin. <laughs> what a mum. She's gone ahead and she's prepared the place for us. And you know, there's this theme that runs throughout the Bible. You can find it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible was written over hundreds of years by lots of different people. But one of the themes that you can trace all the way through it is that God has gone ahead of us and he's made a place for us on his side. And we're going to read a bit in a moment of um, a book in the New Testament of the Bible. It's actually a letter that was written after Jesus' time by a guy called Paul, and he was writing to a town in the Roman Empire called Ephesus, and he was talking to the church, he was talking to them about heaps of things, but he digs into this idea that God is an extravagant inviter, much more extravagant than my mum with her one cake, which I'm very grateful for, but God is an extravagant inviter who invites us to take up our place on his side. So, if you've got a Bible with you and you want to look at it in front of you, um, we're going to look in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, the first 10 verses, but they're also going to be up on the screen behind me. So, this is Paul, and when he says you, he's talking to the people in Ephesus, and we believe he's talking to us as well today. So, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, when life's been going through its ups and downs, is God even on my side? If he's there, is he on my side? I've definitely thought that heaps of times. God, I believe you're there, but are you on my side? It doesn't always feel like it. But this letter, and actually heaps of other places in the Bible, point to an even deeper truth, really, beyond whether God is on our side or not on our side, and I know I've done plenty of things in my life where God definitely wasn't on my side, and neither would anybody sensible have been on my side, because I was doing silly things, but the deep truth through all of that is that God has made a place for me and for you, whatever our story On his side. Wherever we're coming from, however polished or however mucky our lives look, God has made a place for us on his side. Deliberately, on purpose, not by accident, God has made a place for us on his side. We saw it halfway through that passage when it said, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions the bad stuff that we've done it's by grace that we've been saved it's not because we've managed to polish ourselves up or say to him oh look here's a heap, heap of good stuff i've done to get myself back in your good books it's just because just because and god raised us up with christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in christ jesus I don't know if anybody here has ever had the opportunity to sit down with the queen. It's pretty unusual, even today, for people to have the opportunity to sit in the presence of a king or queen. For the people in Ephesus, when they read this letter for the first time, it was even more of a crazy idea that you get to sit in the presence of a monarch. Nobody gets to sit in the presence of a monarch. It's a sign of almost like, I don't know, whether equality, total acceptance, and yet we read in this passage that we are seated with God in heavenly places. We're not on the outside, we're not round the back, whoever you are, whatever your story, when you take your place on God's side, you are seated with him in heavenly places. And I often feel like, when I think about things like this well if God's seated up there then I'm happy just to be in the same room as him but I'm happy if I'm right at the back because it's an honor to be in the same room as God but I quite like to be the doorkeeper right at the back it's just enough to know that I'm in the same room as him but the picture that we see here and again and again and again in scripture is not that we're at the back it's not that we sit on a lower tier until we've learned some more stuff. If you accept your place, that free gift of being on God's side, you are seated with him in heavenly places. And it's not just me who gets to sit here, it's you. There's your place with God in heavenly places, and it doesn't matter how rubbish your life is, It doesn't matter how much stuff you've done that you're proud of, or how much stuff you've done that you're ashamed of, there is a place for you on God's side for free. And he's not interested in how much good stuff you can prove to him that you've done, and he's not interested in how much bad stuff you think you've done that disqualifies you. If you take your place on God's side, you're not at the back door, you're not on the bottom step, you're seated with him in heavenly places. This last week isn't the only time that I've had a diary malfunction. I've had repeated diary malfunctions. Um, It's not because I use a paper diary. A paper diary is a wonderful thing. Um, I also had a diary malfunction last year whilst I was at Focus, which is our church annual holiday camp. Um, And I went last year as a steward so I could get a free place. It's a great way to go to Focus for free. Um, to serve on a team and you get to meet loads of cool people. Um, and I accepted my place on Focus and knew that I was going to be having to serve full days. And a friend of mine called Ben, um, he asked me if I'd like to go and get involved in a sort of history event that he was running. I used to be a history teacher. Ben was a great mate of mine at school. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll definitely come to that, knowing full well it was on at the same time as Focus. But they were both too fun to say no to. And then I had to work out how on earth I was going to arrange this. So, um, I worked right up until the very end of my shift at Focus, ran, jumped in the car, hurtled up into Wiltshire, where his, um, his little history event was taking place, and bundled myself into the hall, looking like I'd been serving on a campsite for the last week. And you know how, like, when you go to any kind of, I don't know, like, niche event, there's always, like, a look, isn't there? Every subculture's got a look. And the look, when you go to history events, for the guys, is open neck shirts and coloured chinos. I think there's like some kind of code depending on whether you're wearing yellow or red or blue. I I don't know what it is. And so I I bundle in there looking like a complete mess and feeling completely out of place and hoping nobody got too close because I knew I smelled, it was a hot day, etc, etc. And I had to give a talk. And um, I actually gave a talk on something that took place almost exactly 75 years ago, 75 years ago just slightly later on in August, and it was an event in the Second World War. And um, it involved Romania changing sides in the war, a bit niche. Um, But I learned heaps from studying about it to be able to talk about it. Uh, And Romania, uh, for the biggest part of the Second World War, was run by an awful dictator, a fascist guy. And there was a puppet king, a really young guy. People looked at him and thought he was naive and stupid and had no power, and the dictator told him exactly what to do all the time. But the young king looked at this awful dictator and thought, we've got to do something about this. So with a few people, really bravely and against all the odds, he plotted how to overthrow this dictator and for Romania to change sides in the war. And within the space of a couple of hours, they executed their plan, it worked, and they changed sides. And for them, changing sides meant changing absolutely everything. It wasn't just getting rid of this awful dictator. They had to change in an instant if it was going to work Who was in charge of education? Who was in charge of the army? Who was in charge of the police? Who was in charge of finance? Who was in charge of culture? Changing sides meant everything changed. And it's like that with us too, when we make our decision that we're gonna follow Jesus, changing sides changes everything. Sometimes it happens fast, sometimes it happens slowly but changing sides changes everything. It changes the way that we think about ourselves. It changes the words that we speak about other people. It changes the way that we govern our finances. It changes the way we run our relationships. It changes the way we treat those who are on the outside. I made my decision to change sides when I didn't really know what I was doing. I was maybe four or five years old, but I knew what the other side was, and I knew I wanted to be on it. I knew I wanted to be on God's side, and I find myself now still reading stuff in the Bible and thinking, ah, that's something else that's changed. I hadn't realized that. That's a change that I need to put into place because changing sides changes absolutely everything. In the passage that we read, it describes what we were like and now what we are like after we've changed sides. It says we were dead. We were following the way of just everybody else around us. We were being disobedient. We were, to, to quote it directly, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. Actually, just as an aside there, right at the beginning, it talked didn't it, about the spirit of the air, a bit of a weird thing to talk about. It means the evil one. Jesus tells us himself directly that God hasn't just prepared a place for us, he's also prepared a place to get rid of the evil one in. You can read it in Matthew, Jesus tells us that there's an eternal fire that's prepared for the evil one. That's what we were like, we were lost, we were dead, we were disobedient, but we are, according to what Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, we are made alive. We are raised up with Christ. We are seated with him, even when we don't feel like it and feel like we've disqualified ourselves. We are seated with him. We are shown the incomparable riches of his grace and we do get to work with him, alongside him. He's prepared stuff for us to do because he's seen you, whatever your story and he's seen me, the bits of my story that I let you see, and the bits of my story that I don't let you see. He's seen the whole lot, and he's made a place for you and for me on his side. And changing sides changes everything. I just want to acknowledge that I know for there, there are people here today for whom changing sides has been tricky it's been painful for some of you changing sides has meant an end to some friendships that you've been in for some of you changing sides has meant strain within your families we are extremely honored as a church family to have people who are part of us for whom changing sides has literally meant losing everything losing their homes losing their livelihoods losing their families and escaping with just their lives. Changing sides can be extremely tough, but I want to say to you, if you're finding changing sides tough, it doesn't mean you're getting it wrong. Sometimes it just comes with the territory. Taking our place for free on God's side with his incomparable riches means changing sides and changing everything. And Paul, who wrote this letter, he wasn't just like talking theory, thinking to himself, oh, it's all right for everybody else I talk to. Um, I'm all right. Um, They'll just have to suck it up and deal with it. Paul knew himself what it was to change sides. He knew it was glorious, and he also knew it was costly. He wrote another letter, this time to another Greek-speaking church in the Roman Empire, this time in a town called Corinth. And in that letter, he says some really interesting things. It's his second letter to Corinth. He lists in that some of the cost to him of changing sides. Um, he gives a great long list. You could look at it for yourself. But here are some of the things he mentions. He says that five times he was given 39 lashes. He says three times he was beaten with rods. He says one time he was stoned. And I think he meant people were throwing stones at him. He says three times he was shipwrecked. He alludes to how he was despised by his old friends, how he was attacked in riots, how he sacrificed being able to sleep properly, eat properly, sometimes even getting access to water from the troubles that resulted with him changing sides. I imagine, I hope that that's an experience that most of us haven't had. But then he says these beautiful words in the face of, of everything that had come with changing sides. He says, don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I want to encourage anybody here today who is struggling with changing sides, who is struggling with taking their place on God's side, not because his glory is not sufficient, but because it hurts and it's painful, that in changing sides through Jesus Christ, we are gaining an eternal glory that far outweighs anything that we will experience on this life. Paul knew that profound truth, that God, absolutely for free, with no strings attached, had made a place for him at God's side. Not at a door, not on the lower step, at his side. And that God, with no strings attached, knowing exactly what your story is, has prepared a place for you at his side. And yeah, changing sides really does change everything. For good, sometimes with momentary troubles that accompany it. Changing sides changes everything. But God has made for us a place on his side that is beyond what we could have ever asked or ever imagined.